come in. Come in all who long to know how to love this world, how to keep eyes open, hands unclenched, arms wide, breathing deeply. This is a time to practice because there's still so much good and beauty and joy. Come in all who teeter on the edge of cynicism, brokenhearted and trying to remember laughter and kindness. In this place, we remind each other why we persist, giving each other courage to keep practicing this love that cannot, will not let us go. Come, let us worship together. The words of the Reverend Gretchen Haley, adapted. Good morning and welcome to First Unitarian Church this morning. I'm Angela Herrera, the senior minister here. I'm joined today by ministerial intern, Matt Pargeter Villarreal and lay worship leader, Judy Goring. Our tech arts director, Chris Paul is DJing the service today and Erica, Alex and Cheryl are our ushers. Our guest minister, Katie Colbert prepared the time for all ages. And the Strategic Planning Task Force is here with us this morning, and they will be hosting a special breakout room after the end of this service. That's a chance for you to share your thoughts and hear what others are saying about where the church should focus its energies in the next three to five years. What should our strategic directions be? Which directions should we go? So to join that conversation or any other breakout room, just stay through the credits at the end of the service and you'll be invited into the breakout rooms and you can select which one you'd like to go to. We are so glad to be with you all and we are especially glad to welcome any new visitors who are here this morning. If you are visiting perhaps for the first or second time and you feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and location in the chat box so we can extend a personal greeting to you. And now Judy will share a couple of announcements. Good morning. We have two announcements today, both about the holidays. All are invited to our annual Blue December service this week. The cultural noise and speed of the holiday season, the shorter days and feelings of loss that arise this time of year can be a strain for many of us. If for any reason, December finds you longing for a calm, reflective approach to the season. Grab a candle or two and join us on Zoom this Wednesday, December 8th at 7 p.m. Music, silence, companionship, and thoughtful words will surround and comfort us all. Our second announcement, we will hold two Christmas Eve services this year a raucous puppet-driven service on Zoom at 5 p.m., and a traditional human-led service in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. In between, everyone, especially families with children, is invited to wear a festive face mask and gather in the church courtyard at 6.30 to sing favorite carols. Song sheets and lyrics will be provided. Young people can send song requests to Susan Peck, our music director, by Sunday, December 19th, and are encouraged to help lead the singing of their favorites. Weather permitting, at the end of the 7 p.m. in-person service, we will hold our own candle lighting ceremony in the courtyard so that everyone can sing Silent Night as we light up the night. It will probably be chilly, so plan to bundle up. Our chalice lighting this morning is by Carl G. Seberg. Let there be joy in our coming together this morning. Let there be truth heard in the words we speak and the songs we sing. Let there be help in healing for all our disharmony and despair. Let there be silence for the voice within us and beyond us. Let there be joy in our coming together.
with me. Here we go. We are Unitarian, Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Good morning, First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque. It is so good to be with you worshiping this Sunday morning. Here in Tampa, Florida, the high is 77 degrees. It is absolutely gorgeous. This is what I call Chamber of Commerce weather. This is why people live in Florida. Next weekend, though, I'm so excited. I'll be traveling across the country to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I will be preaching for you. And the high on that Sunday, from what I understand, looking at my phone just now, will be 45 degrees and the low will be 21. So this Florida girl is going to be a little bit chilly, but um, I know that y'all are going to warm me up with your community. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be with you next week and to be with you today, especially since the topic of the month is joy. One of my favorite topics, and it's a spiritual discipline and I'll be preaching on how we manifest, cultivate, and express joy next week. Today's time for all ages is about a mountain and a bird, and the bird's name is joy. So let's begin our story. Once upon a time, there was a mountain of bare stone, and it stood alone in the middle of a desert plain. I know y'all are familiar with desert plains. We don't have a lot of desert plains out here in Florida, but I know y'all do in New Mexico. So it stood alone in this desert plain and no plants grew on its hard slopes and no animals or birds or insects could live there. One day a small bird appeared and the mountain was amazed. Nothing like this had ever come from the sky before. Who are you? The mountain asked. What is your name? I am a bird, replied the other. My name is Joy, and I've come from distant lands where everything is green. Every spring, I fly high into the air, looking for a place to build my nest and raise my children. I will rest here on your side, but then I have to continue my search. Well, must you go on? Couldn't you just stay here? asked the mountain. Joy shook her head. Birds are living things, she explained. We have to have food and water. Nothing grows for me to eat here. There are no streams for me to drink from. If you cannot stay here, will you come back again someday? Asked the mountain. Because you are so kind, I will come back in the spring before I build my nest and I will stay for a few hours before leaving. But you should know that mountains last forever and birds do not, but I will make you this promise. Every spring of my life, I will return to greet you and fly high above you and sing to you. And since my life 
will not last forever. I will give one of my daughters my own name, Joy, and tell her how to find you. And each year, my daughter, Joy, will come and visit you. And no matter how many years will pass, you will always have a friend greet you and fly above you and sing to you. The mountain was both happy and sad. I wish you could stay, it said, but I'm glad you will return. And with that, the bird flew away. Year after year, when spring came, a small bird flew to the mountain singing. I am joy, and I have come to greet you. At the end of each visit, the mountain always asked, Isn't there some way that you could stay here with me? And Joy always answered, No, but I will return next year. And each year, the mountain looked forward, more and more forward, to Joy's visit. And each year, it grew harder and harder to watch her go. On the hundredth spring, when it was time for Joy to leave, the mountain asked once more, Isn't there some way that you could stay? Joy answered, as she always did, No, but I will return next year. The mountain watched as she disappeared into the sky, and suddenly its heart broke. The hard stone cracked, and from the deepest part of the mountain, tears gushed forth and rolled down the mountain into a stream. The next spring, a small bird appeared, singing, I am joy, and I have come to greet you. This time, the mountain did not reply. It only wept thinking of how soon she would have to leave and of all the long months before she would come again. After a while, the little bird flew away, saying softly, I will return again next year. When the next spring came, Joy returned, carrying in her beak a small seed. Joy carefully tucked the seed into a crack in the hard stone, close to the mountain stream of tears so it would stay moist and then she flew away. During the weeks that followed, the seed in the crack of the rock began to send down roots, and a small plant began to grow. The mountain was so deep in sadness and blinded with tears that it didn't even notice the small plant. The next spring, Joy brought another seed in the spring after that, Another, years passed this way. The roots of new plants softened the stone near the stream of tears. Grasses and tiny flowering plants sprouted in the hollows near the stream. Tiny insects carried to the mountain by the winds scurried among the leaves. Meanwhile, the roots of the very first seed went deeper and deeper into the heart of the mountain. Above the ground, what had started as a tiny shoot was growing into the trunk of a young tree. At last, the mountain felt the roots reaching down like gentle fingers, filling and healing the cracks in his heart. Sorrow faded away and the mountain began noticing the changes that had been taking place. Each year, Joy returned, bringing another seed. In each year, the mountain asked Joy, Isn't there some way that you can stay? And Joy still answered, No, but I will return again next year. More years passed, and the mountain's surface became alive with plants and animals. The mountain was filled with hope and happiness, and sure enough, when the next spring came, Joy flew to the mountain, carrying not a seed, but a slender twig. Straight to the tallest tree of the mountain she flew, and that tree, which was planted by that very first seed. So she placed the twig on the branch, and then she said, I am Joy, and I have come to stay. And she built her nest and she stayed with the mountain. And that is our story. I hope you have a wonderful week and I can't wait to see you next week. 
in freezing cold Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm excited. Blessings upon you. What a beautiful story. Thank you so much, Reverend Katie. And trust me, speaking as a South Texan, I am still very much getting used to those cold mornings. Let's go ahead and pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. During this holiday season, it is common to see the image of a dove amid all of the many colorful lights and other decorations. Doves are seen by many as a symbol of peace and a sign of hope that is to come. There is an ancient parable that tells a story of two warring kings. As one king prepared for battle, he called for his mother to bring his helmet, but she refused. A dove had built a nest in the helmet and the king's mother begged him not to disturb the dove and the nest. The king agreed and so went forth to battle without his helmet. When the opposing king saw his opponent approach without a helmet, he thought this strange and asked why would he do such a thing? When the first king explained about the dove, the second king was moved by the first king's compassion for the dove. And so they agreed not to go to war, but to come to an agreement of peace. This is one story of how the dove became a symbol of peace. Another is the biblical story of Noah on the ark. To purge the world of evil, God flooded the entire earth, sparing only Noah, his family, and the animals that accompanied him on his ark. After floating on the flooded world for over a year, Noah sent out a dove from the ark. When the dove returned bearing an olive branch, Noah knew that land was within reach. This Noah took as a peace symbol from God that the time of the punishing flood was over. And so the Abrahamic religions also recognized the dove as a symbol of peace. We have an image of a dove that was created by one of our church members, Andrew Fernside. And I'm gonna show it on the screen. And I invite you to take a piece of paper from wherever you are, hold it up to your screen and trace the image of the dove onto the paper. Don't worry, it doesn't have to be perfect. There's also a link to the image in the chat box as well. I invite you to think of a hope, a prayer, or a blessing that you wish upon the world or for the coming year and write it on your dove. If you would like, you can bring your doves to the church and we will add them to the doves that are lifted up at our in-person service. We encourage you to color them so that we can have a physical representation of our Zoom congregation in the physical sanctuary. You can feel free to hang on to your doves, and I will invite you to hold them up later on when we do the pachum greeting after the offertory. If you are not an artist like me, but you would still like to participate in our doves meditation, you can type what is on your heart into the chat during our time of joys and concerns. Let us observe this moment in sacred silence together.
Our church is a welcoming community where we find connection, a spiritual community where we find meaning. Our church is a sharing community where our joys are amplified, a caring community where our sorrows are lessened. We take this moment to reflect our joys and sorrows and acknowledge the mutual support of our community. Please type in the chat box, first your joys and then your sorrows. If you're unable to write in the chat box, please email the church at caring at uuabq.org. And may we remember those who have spoken, those they have named, and those we hold in silence in our hearts. Will you please join me in a spirit of prayer? Spirit of life and source of love, who goes by many names and no name at all, 
We come to you in this moment to lift up those people and things which are in our hearts and on our minds up to you, like doves taking flight to the skies. We celebrate and are grateful for friends, family, community, holiday decorations, vaccines, boosters, and also our furry friends, our cats and dogs. We also celebrate with our Jewish siblings as they observe the final night of Hanukkah. We pray for this church and all of its members and friends as we continue to navigate this time of transition. We especially lift up those who are grieving, those who are in pain, those who are burnt out, and those who have other health concerns. And we also mourn with the people of Oxford Township, Michigan, for the four young lives lost in yet another school shooting. For these and for other joys and concerns that we hold silently in our hearts, we lift them up to the great powers of healing and renewal that are known by many names. May we continue to be there for and to help others, and may we continue to be doves of peace, advocates of justice, and agents of love. May it be so. Amen. And blessed be. And peace be with you. This morning, Visitation by Mark Doty. When I heard he had entered the harbor and circled the wharf for days, I expected the worst shallow water, confusion, some accident to bring the young humpback to grief. Don't I depend on a compass lodged in the salt folded folds of the brain, some delicate musical mechanism? to navigate their true course? How many ways in our century's late iron hours might we have led him to disaster? That, in those days, was how I'd come to see the world.
dark upon dark. Any sense of spirit and embattled flame sparked against wind-driven rain till rain snuffed it out. I thought, this is what experience gives us. And I moved carefully through my life while I waited. Enough, it wasn't that way at all. The whale, exuberant, proud maybe, playful, like the early music of Beethoven. Cruising the footings for smelts, clustered near the pylons in mercury flocks. He, do I have that gender right? Would navigate the rusty halls of the Portuguese fishing boats. Holy infant, little Marie, with what could have only be read as pleasure, coming close, then diving, trailing on the surface, big spreading circles until he breached, thrilling us with the release of pressured breath and the bulk of a sleek young head, a wet black leather sofa, already barnacled with ghastly, ghostly lice and his elegant and unlikely mouth and the marvelous afterthought of the flukes and the way his broad flippers resembled a pair of clownish gloves or puppet hands looming greenish white beneath the bay's clouded sheen when he had consumed his pleasure of the shimmering swarm his pleasure perhaps in his own admired performance he swam out the harbor mouth into the atlantic and though grief has seemed to me itself in dim salt suspension in which i've moved blind thing day by day through the wreckage, barely aware of what I stumbled toward. Even I couldn't help but look at the way this immense figure graces the dark medium and shines so. Heavenness, which is no burden to itself. What do you think that joy was some slight thing? did you think that joy was some slight thing? That was Visitation by Mark Doty. Well, if you've been attending services for a little while now, you've probably noticed that each month here at First Unitarian, we have a theological theme, and we explore that theme in some of our Sunday services, and then that theme is also woven throughout things like covenant groups and adult religious exploration sessions, and then the children's religious exploration program. And you'll also find the theme and quotes and reflections that relate to it in our church publications and on social media, all that kind of thing. So these monthly themes are one way that this big congregation can get into a kind of shared conversation each month, something that links us together inside and outside of these Sunday services. And other groups and events can also use those themes as they see fit. So this month, our theme is opening to joy. Joy is one of those words that's kind of like love. And what I mean is that it can be kind of squishy when you try to define it. Is it the same as happiness? Is it pleasure? Does it come from things like success or comfort or maybe from experiences or beliefs? And if you look it up in the regular dictionary, it's not all that helpful. Merriam-Webster defines joy as a feeling of great happiness. So happiness plus, I guess. Joy is being extra happy. The American Psychological Association gives us a little bit more to work with. They define joy as a feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. A feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the spirit arising from a feeling, a sense of well-being or satisfaction. And the APA explains a little bit more. They say joy might take two forms, passive and active. Passive joy involves tranquility and a feeling of contentment with things as they are. Active joy involves a desire to share one's feelings with others. It's associated with more engagement of the environment than passive joy. And the distinction between passive and active joy might be related to the intensity of the emotion, they say, with active joy representing the more intense form. 
over the years, there have been a number of scientific studies that have shown that people tend to get happier and more joyful as they get older. One such, one such study took place um, last year in April of 2020, and this was right when the pandemic was ramping up. The study happened right in the month that 91% of the global population faced some kind of closed borders or travel restrictions due to the pandemic. Nine out of 10 people on the planet. And with the virus especially dangerous for older people and like the thousands of deaths that were starting to take place that month, one might expect that older people suffered more emotionally from the pandemic than younger people did. But according to the study, that actually was not the case. It's very interesting. So the study was carried out by researchers at Stanford who surveyed 945 Americans between the ages of 18 and 76. The group was about 75% white, which according to the US Census Bureau's Quick Facts page is similar to the percent of white people in the overall US population. However, I do wanna point out that the study doesn't say how the remaining 25% of the participants identified racially. So although the group was apparently diverse, the reporting still managed to center whiteness in a pretty cringy way, as though like the only significant categories of race, if we're going to use racial categories, are white and non-white, which of course makes white seem really normative and everything else vaguely just other. And this kind of thing is important to note because when we gloss over stuff like this, we participate in making it seem reasonable to center whiteness, but it's not reasonable. It's a choice that gets made over and over across disciplines and has real life consequences. On other demographics, the group made about the same median income. They had a similar gender breakdown and they lived alone at about the same rate as the general US population. They were a bit more educated on the whole though, with about 88% reporting that they had attended some college at least compared to the usual 60% in the regular population. So that's a snapshot of who was in this group of 945 people to the extent that we can get a snapshot. So what did the researchers find? Well, among the study participants, older people were faring better emotionally than the younger ones, despite facing a higher risk. I'm gonna read you the negative and positive feelings the researchers asked people about. And as I do, see if any of them happen to resonate with you this morning. Or do you find yourself on this list of feelings, either one or both? There's no right or wrong answer because you know feelings come and go all the time and sometimes they're mixed or sometimes they're just neutral. The negative ones were concerned, anxious, worried, bored, frustrated, irritated, sad, lonely, fearful, angry, disgusted, guilty, embarrassed, and or ashamed. And the positive ones were calm, quiet, appreciative, interested, content, happy, relaxed, peaceful, energetic, affectionate, amused, accomplished, joyful, proud, relieved, and or excited. Everybody has their ups and downs. But in this study, as in other studies, the older the participant, the less likely they were to report frequent or intense negative emotions, and the more likely they were to report frequent or intense positive emotions. If happiness generally increases with age, why might that be? Before the pandemic, researchers had been wondering and debating whether it was a matter of perspective, as in life is shorter the older you get, so you might as well enjoy it and be happy, or whether older people were just better at avoiding stressful situations. Maybe older folks have just learned a few tricks and had some more resources to deploy to avoid those negative feelings. 
I've also been curious personally about the social context for the generations too, like how the widening gap, gap between rich and poor, the sky high cost of education and an unfriendly economy might impact younger people's happiness. Seems like that would have a real impact. But what's interesting is the pandemic study provided the researchers with this unusual opportunity to see everybody facing the same extremely stressful, unavoidable event and one that was more dangerous for older folks than the younger ones, and then to just see how different groups were faring. And it turned out the emotional advantage of aging was still there. There's a parable that the Buddha shares in one of the sutras or sacred texts of Buddhism. The Buddha tells of a man who's traveling across a field and encounters a tiger. So he flees and the tiger chases after him. And soon the man finds himself at the edge of a cliff seemingly with nowhere to go. So he grabs the, the root of a vine and he swings down over the edge. The tiger stands above him watching and smelling the air hungrily. And then the man looks down and is terrified to see that there's another tiger at the bottom of the cliff also waiting to eat him. His only lifeline is the vine. And now he looks up and notices two mice, one white and one black, beginning to gnaw at it. And then the man notices within arm's reach, another plant with a bright red strawberry growing on it. So his only lifeline is the vine, but with one hand, he holds on for dear life to that and he reaches over with the other one and he plucks the strawberry, pops it into his mouth and it tastes so sweet. That's it, that's the parable from the Buddhist Sutra. <laughs> but does the perception that our life's time is running out actually heighten our sense of joy? It definitely can lead us to savor the good. I think that that's what this parable of impermanence is about. But studies have shown that as we perceive having less time left in life, negative emotions actually do increase overall. Aging somehow compensates for this. People tend to experience more joy as they age, despite knowing they have less linear time ahead of them than they used to. So I think it does have to do with perspective, but with the kind that makes us resilient. Resilience is something that we can develop at any age, actually. We develop it by getting through something hard. Right now, we've all just gone through something really hard. We're still in it. We're adapting and we're working on our resilience as we go. As people get older, they just accumulate more memories of hard experiences, losses, upheavals, brushes with death, change, things that teach us that no feeling is final. And those things can make us spiritually larger if we let them. They're things that make us able to be with more of life all at once. One thing I notice about resilient people of all ages is how so often they smile with a tear in the eye, you know? In the book, Proverbs of Ashes, Rebecca Parker writes about a time when she was in the middle of a deep, deep despair, like a real dark night of the soul, the kind that you feel like you cannot see out of. They don't last forever, but they feel like they really will. And one night, as she went for a walk in such a terrible emotional and spiritual state that to be honest, she really wasn't even sure she wanted to live anymore. She did not think she did. She came upon a group of amateur astronomers. They had gathered in the night to look at the sky together. Their telescopes were assembled like basically from parts from Radio Shack. And one of them, she says, like mistaking her for a fellow astronomer, turned to her and, and told her enthusiastically, I've got it focused perfectly on Jupiter. Come and take a look. She did. And there it was, perfectly banded and glowing. And then having seen that and also experiencing the ordinary joy of people who got together to look at the stars, 
and also feeling the cool grass under her feet and the night air on her skin, all of that returned her to her senses. Like she'd only been experiencing one sense, which was despair, and now her other senses were awakened too. Parker writes, it would be wrong to think of this moment as one in which joy triumphed over despair. Such a view assumes that bad feelings need to be excised or suppressed by stronger, better feelings. Peace or happiness or even survival are imagined to be accomplished by cutting something out or dominating some aspect of the self. Viewing the soul this way, she says, internalizes violence. I did not defeat negative feelings of anguish and despair because I saw something more lovely and good. Rather, I became able to feel more. My feeling broadened. She continues, pain, sadness, and despair were not eliminated or overcome. I embraced them with a larger heart. My consciousness had been broadened to embrace memories of the religious community, immediate experiences of the world's beauty and the kindness of human beings, and a vivid sense of future possibility." End quote. That, my friends, is opening to joy. It's not about closing to something else. It's about experiencing the room within ourselves to, for the fullness of our senses and allowing that, allowing ourselves to experience that room within ourselves because life is short and sometimes it is very hard and we need joy in order to thrive. In our work for justice too, joy belongs right alongside the struggle, just like it sometimes occurs right alongside sadness or sorrow. Adrienne Marie Brown speaks of the role of pleasure in the work of social transformation. Pleasure must be one of the feelings that helps us open to joy. In her book, Pleasure Activism, Brown writes, pleasure reminds us to enjoy being alive and on purpose. Pleasure, embodied, connected pleasure, is one of the ways we know we are free, that we are always free, that we always have the power to co-create the world. She says, pleasure helps us move through the times that are unfair, through grief and loneliness, through the terror of genocide or days when the demands are just overwhelming. Pleasure heals the places where our hearts and spirits get wounded, she writes. Pleasure reminds us that even in the dark, we are alive. Pleasure is a medicine for the suffering that is absolutely promised in life. Pleasure is the point. Feeling good is not frivolous, it's freedom. End quote. Feeling good is not frivolous, it's freedom. That is especially true for those who, as a result of systemic oppression, are often denied pleasure. For example, have you ever heard somebody criticize a poor person for spending money on something that's just for pleasure? As though pleasure were unnecessary? I have. I've been the person that got flack for that. Pleasure seeking by the poor is often judged by wealthier people as trashy, lazy, selfish, or irresponsible. Things that are considered fun for rich people or richer people, things like drinking alcohol, buying seafood, staying at hotels, owning boats or RVs, or going to parties or festivals, those are all judged differently when they're done by the poor. As though there were no other possible priority for wealthy people's time and money too. But every single person needs pleasure and joy. And opening to joy while we are working for transformation into a greater compassion, equity, and justice in the world, like opening to joy while we are doing that work, that is a high level spiritual move, if you ask me. Like the strawberry on the cliffside, Joy in the midst of actively engaging what is challenging in this world is a sweeter joy than other kinds. It keeps us nourished and resilient. It makes the work sustainable and even irresistible to others. 
This is reminding me of that APA description of passive and active joy that I started out with a few minutes ago. Passive joy involves tranquility and a feeling of contentment with things as they are. Active joy involves a desire to share one's feelings with others. It's associated with more engagement of the environment than passive joy. So my prayer for us as we see 2021 through its final weeks and we turn the corner into a new year soon is that we find our senses fully awakened. May we experience well-being, delight, and that exaltation of the spirit together and individually, even as we are present with all that is. May we open to joy. May it be so. Robin Wall Kimmer wrote, even a wounded world is feeding us. Even a wounded world hold us giving us moments of wonder and joy. I choose joy over despair, not because I have my head in the sand, but because joy is what the earth gives me daily and I must return the gift. What a blessing it is to give and receive, to share and support this church where joy, justice and equality inspire our acts of service and compassion. We dedicate these gifts to all that we stand for as a community of faith. The change for the future recipient for December, January, and February is in Centro. In Centro's mission is to transform New Mexico into a thriving community for all of its residents. They do that by, quote, engaging with Latino immigrant families in educational and career development opportunities that build skills for economic and social justice, unquote. In Central is committed to the belief that quality education should build both individual and community knowledge. And with that knowledge comes individual and community power. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. May there be an offering to sustain and grow the life and mission of this congregation. May we give in love and in joy.
What is given in generosity is received in gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church of Albuquerque and our change for the future recipient Encuentro. And also, thank you to Soul Calypso and the infectious joy that has been brought through their musical offerings today. We are coming to the end of our service, but if you would like to stick around and participate in our virtual coffee hour, and we would love it if you would, please stay on after the final credits and you will be placed in one of our breakout rooms. If you are wanting to join the special breakout room that we have this Sunday for the Strategic Planning Task Force, you can move to that breakout room from the list of rooms yourself, or stay in the main session and we can help put you into that breakout room. If you are participating in the virtual coffee hour, here is a discussion question for you to consider. What is something that could be considered a small thing that you find brings you joy? What is something that could be considered a small thing that you find brings you joy? Before we go, I invite you to navigate your Zoom screens to gallery view for our Pachem greeting. Go ahead and look at all of the wonderful smiling faces back at you. Um, if you have your doves, you can feel free to hold them up in this view as well. Otherwise, place one hand on your heart, extend the other one out to all of everyone else in the gallery. And now, as we extinguish our chalices and candles, go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. Blessed be.